Okay, hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Billy Watson TV. I'm very delighted to have a guest on the show tonight who was actually recommended by Andrew Kaufman when I was interviewing him. She made a comment and Andrew pointed me in the direction said she'd be a lovely guest, so I went and checked out her work. And of course he was right. She is a lovely guest to have on the show. Magda Taylor, how are you doing? I'm all right, thank you, Billy. And yeah, thanks for having me on. I mean, I wasn't... I only made a comment. I was in the middle of cleaning the bathroom, actually, <laughs> listening to the show. And I thought, oh, I'll stop and make a comment. And then I was busy with my cloth again and suddenly heard my name mentioned. So it was quite, yeah, great. I'm glad there wasn't a video at the time, though. All right. <laughs> in my bathroom. Yeah. Um, well, obviously, if Andrew's recommending you, um, you must have done a fair bit of work in that kind of field. And obviously, you have. I've checked out the, the Informed Parent website that you've got. It's all about kind of anti vaccines and um, informing parents about the history of them and why they're basically all poison. Would you like to talk a little bit about how that came to be, that website, and um, how you got yeah, to that well, position, maybe a bit about your personal background, how you got to there? Oh, okay. Well, as, as I was growing up, I, I did have the good fortune of my grandmother. We lived with my grandmother as well as my mum and dad, and um, she was always very suspicious about doctors and she was never registered actually with and um, when she got to around 90 um it might be a good idea that she registered with the doctor in case of an emergency so they sent out a letter to her they were shocked that she hadn't even ever registered and uh, she said oh i don't want to come in thanks i'm fine but anyway she got to 91 and she died peacefully at home of old age so, you know, so we had that background. I never really went to the doctors, but with vaccines, you know, you're always brought up, oh, you know, it doesn't hurt just a few seconds. And so when I was at school, we had to line up for, you know, rubella and BCG. And I was, you know, I wasn't worried or frightened. And um, even through my 20s, I didn't, I had a couple just when we were um, traveling one time. Because I just assumed it was okay. It was not the same as anything else. You know, going to the doctors, it was a special thing, and we eradicated smallpox and all that from it. Um, so even as a new mum, I didn't question it. Um, with my first daughter, I mean, I remember taking her in to have them done, but I didn't. I don't think any parent likes to do it because you know you with my my daughter Ruby I mean she was literally asleep in my arms and I remember they jabbed her and she squealed to wake up you know and I really felt like I'd betrayed her um, but still I thought I was doing the right thing so I carried on through that year and and then uh, a year a couple of years later Nancy came along and um, same thing I just carried on I mean there certainly weren't as many vaccines then it was like 1988 and 1990 and um it was only a handful of vaccines compared to today's um schedule um and it was just literally at the time nancy was due for mmr there was um it was september 91 and the, at the time my the father of the my children he was working in london he came home with the evening standard and he had a, a sort of supplement in there. And he just sort of put it on their table. And I flicked through it. I wasn't normally one for reading my way through all these magazines and things. But I turned a page, 
suddenly there's this article, Vaccination, The Hidden Facts. And I, I was thinking, oh, what's that? And I read it and it was just two sides. And I've never had that feeling before, but these alarm bells went off in my in, inside. So it was like a sort of alarm to say, hang on a minute, something's not right. Why haven't? Because it made a lot of interesting points like declining disease before, injecting into the body with all sorts of components, things I hadn't really even contemplated. I just used to merrily go in there and think I was doing the right thing. And of course, this was before internet, so you couldn't rush off and Google anything as we keep getting accused of. Um, so I, they, at the end of it, they had stamped addressed envelope, please send an SAE for a reading list. And I thought, okay, I will do. Sent off. And I have to laugh because when I found the reading list recently, I thought no way would the London Evening Standards recommend any of those titles now because yeah. we don't live. We had slightly a little bit more freedom of speech and a little bit more um, balanced, you know, media back in that in the early 90s. But so I sort of looked at the list. and I thought, well, where do I start? So. They're all specialist books. They, you wouldn't have got them in your local bookstore. So I literally started to order one by one. Because as I read one, I, I'm not the type that would just read something and believe it, you know. Um, so I started to gradually work my way through the whole list. And it was books like, there were things like DPT, A Shot in the Dark, was written in the 1980s. Um, and then another one, a medical historian, Harris Coulter wrote, um, about vaccination, the assault on the brain, and all these, and but there was a variety, and they really all just made absolute sense. And also, of course, there were lots of case stories which were horrific. Um, and then, you, you know, once you've got this in your mind, I started to talk to others. Most of my friends would just say, "Oh no, it must be okay." Um, but something kept me going to just keep sort of talking about it. And the next minute, suddenly, I'm talking to someone in the north of England. There was a, one lady who was a health journalist for years, and she had her children later in, in her early 40s. And she'd questioned it before she had them, and she decided not to have them vaccinated. And then there were two other mothers I made contact with, and they both had independent midwives. They had home births, and they were talking about it during their pregnancy, even the, with some of the midwives were, were saying, encouraging them to question it. Yeah, that was a thing. I mean, even with the informed parent, when we set it up, we weren't there to say, don't do it. It's up to you. Look into it, though. So out of the four of us, I was the only one who'd actually started having my daughters vaccinated. And, um, and then in the first couple of years, we didn't really know what we'd taken on because... We started just with, you know, four science photocopied. I used to go up to my ex-other's office and every weekend photocopying away. And, and we built up quite a few subscribers in the first year or two. And then there was a load of stuff in the um, uh, news about MMR suddenly. And somehow we got mentioned a few times on programs like even panorama i think they put my home phone number at the end of the program or world in action and literally as the program stopped my phone went and it stopped it wouldn't stop ringing for two days almost you know um people thought it was some kind of helpline um with all sorts of operators and it was just me in my hall <laughs> trying to take them off 
one after so another. You were on Panorama or World in Action? There were well, they mentioned they mentioned the organisation on some of those things. So um, what was this organisation you set up? Was this Informed Parent from the game? Yeah, this was the Informed Parent. So we set it up initially in a year, literally a year after I started to look into it. And and it was really, I mean, the, it was running on a shoestring. Well, magazines and stuff like that. Obviously, the internet wasn't there, so you were doing it. No, I had. I, I used to have literally any articles I found um, from any journals or anything. I would actually physically type up. Hey. I had to talk. I taught myself touch typing. You know, because I can't be doing this all sort of one finger. So, um, and then gradually, I mean, I suppose within a couple of years, um, the others, for different reasons, couldn't do it anymore, and I was sort of suddenly on my own. To, to, thinking oh how do I do the newsletter because we used to have a health journalist as one of the mums so she was automatically the editor and then so I thought oh I've got to do the next newsletter without any help so anyway I put one together and um, no one commented and said who did this you know <laughs> so um and then that was it so I just carried on and each year we used to do four a year um but then I don't know when they changed to the large letters and they changed all the postage prices and I, I and there wasn't enough money coming in. I mean, it was literally just to fund the printing and all this. So um, eventually we, I moved to doing three a year, but I made them as many pages as I could that would still be under 100 grams, basically, to try and okay. keep it. So, but yeah, so I did it voluntary for seven years and then right at the end of, in 99, I turned it into a non-profit making organization so I could take a, a very small um, salary. Um, so again, when people say oh, we do these anti-vaxxers, although I don't, I, I mean, I'm pro-health, that's what I would say. I'm I don't, I don't pro like this pro-choice. Like yeah, pro-choice, pro-health, whatever. I don't like pro-choice because well, that no, gives no, the illusion no. that, that any yeah, vaccine is good. We should well, all be yeah, anti-vax. <laughs> yeah, I know, but I hate these words anti. I mean, yeah. if I think, personally, if every single person looked into it as much as some of us have done, I can't imagine anyone being wanting to rush to the queue. I exactly. think it would be empty. Of course, the, they're all poison. <laughs> because, but we've been so brainwashed. Even I can say from my point of view, I was coming from... I wasn't coming from a neutral position when I started looking into it. I actually believe, thought it was a good thing, you know, and just didn't occur to me. So, um, but anyway, we, we started, I had to just carry it on on my own and it just carried on and it carried on. And I, I didn't realise at the time how it's going to turn into what we're unfolding to now. And yet, Yet, it was inevitable because I have noticed over these 30 years that slowly more and more people were looking into it and there were more organisations springing up over the, across the world and different books coming out. So there was always going to be a, a point in time where this it, the, the industry or whoever are going to say, hang on a minute, you know, we're, it's coming from a completely different angle naturopathic terrain theory and then you've got you know the germ theory and you, you need to use all these products and so it it was inevitable that there would be a time where the two points of view would meet and uh, i think certainly this last two years 
although I've been horrified by many things that have happened, at the same time, I've never known such a conversation on the subject, which, you know, even the word, if you said terrain theory a few years ago, people would say, what, you know? And, yeah. um, and, and of course, no one's saying that there's a set in stone terrain theory and, you know, there's lots of things we're still learning. Um, but it seems that we, because of that period in the 1800s where it was embraced, the germ theory, and we, we've shifted down this path, which, are we healthier today? So many conditions now, we may not be, but then, you know, we, we smallpox, in my opinion, would have actually fallen quicker and gone into decline quicker if we hadn't interfered in the 1800s. Because it was heading down when you've probably seen those graphs where yeah. they're all coming down. And then when they made it compulsory in the 18, late 1860s, shoo, yeah. three, you know, three. And then, three, and then it comes down again and then they measure it from there to there, ignoring the spike bit in the middle. And I say, know. It's been a success, but actually it would have been a success quicker if you didn't interfere. And the whole thing was, it was all sanitation, wasn't it? There was like the black yeah. plague and all these kind of things. That was heavy toxicity. Yeah. It wasn't caused by contagion. And then a few years later, it was like maybe tuberculosis and um, smallpox and polio and these things. Yeah. And then... Actually, polio like, didn't come until the... Yeah, it's a bit later, actually, yes. I, one thing that struck me, because I found a few texts on polio where just right at the end of the 1800s, and they said, oh, there was... Uh, the first official outbreak was in Vermont sometime in the latter part of the 1800s. And I'm thinking, well, what about the history of polio? Because with smallpox, you can go back centuries. But polio, no. You know, when you look on it, there's a few hieroglyphics where they said, oh, it looks like this chap's got a withered leg. Um, so that must have been polio then. But there's no history of polio. And then suddenly, late at 1800s, and I'm thinking, interesting, because... When they were doing the smallpox vaccine, they were quite brutal in those days with these lancets, and and you know there was it, there was a lot of issues with the the methods. So first of all, when the, the, how did they go back to the original idea? It was inoculation, wasn't it? That was called originally, and then they started yeah. using cowpox, and they called that a vaccine. Initially, yeah. they were just cutting people open and rubbing this um, kind of. Disease well, into, yeah, the pus from from <laughs> smallpox, you know, pus you're lovely. Uh, I mean, they they uh, over the centuries there'd been different methods along those lines, but in the 1700s it started to become fashionable, and there was some uh, lady Montague who was the uh, British. Um, they were um, ambassadors out living out in uh, Turkey, and she saw this kind of procedure being um, done and, uh, and, it, and sort of came back to England and said to King George, oh, you know, how about introducing this? So, but that was how you're describing. I mean, they sometimes called it variolation or inoculation because anything you inoculate, you're basically breaking the skin. But uh, they used to literally just take some pus from a smallpox um, victim and rub it into, an, into a cut and then cover it to fester. And they thought... It would. I mean, I have to laugh because in the um, when I was looking up in the mid 1700s, Catherine of Russia uh, actually paid huge amounts of money to 
for one particular doc doctor to come from England because he had a, a reputation of doing it so well and to travel to Russia to inoculate her and uh, about a hundred years later it was made a criminal offence you know it's quite funny that she's paid all that money um, and I mean as she was an empress or you know all these high ups they, they weren't so prone to smallpox I mean certainly some did because if they were if they were very noble and maybe maybe overate all those things, you know. Look look at Henry the Eighth and his gout. You know, he was he would be they'd be living in overeating, where they weren't living in poverty, but they could have easily become toxic from just tucking into all those pig heads and whatever they put on the table with those feasts and things. So, um, so just explain to people that all these different diseases are to, to do with toxicity in the body. Smallpox isn't a contagious disease in any way. It's just symptoms of toxicity, the same as these other things could be called that as well, yeah? Yeah, well, it was interesting because in the ninth century, there was one particular scientist, Razes, I don't think to pronounce it, he talked about smallpox as impurities trying to be pushed out of the body, exactly the naturopathic terrain yeah. theory type of thing. And he was saying that back in the ninth century and uh, that it, you should help, help that pushing out of all those impurities. He also, and then so many centuries later in, in England, we had um, Dr. Thomas Sydenham, who was like the English Hippocrates. And he said very similar then. So they, you know, all those centuries later, still talking about it as an impurity. Um, and actually he said something, like Thomas Sydenham, he said, because of their way they spoke in those days, he said, if no mischief be performed by doctor, physician and nurse, Smallpox can be a very mild sort of presentation. There was a lot of mild smallpox back then because slowly in some areas it was improving and improving. And in the countryside, you're much more likely to be healthier living out in the countryside, lots of fresh air and outdoor, um, fresh, fresh produce. Um, so the cities, as they started to grow, when you um, look at some of the conditions, you wonder how anyone survived, actually. You know, <laughs> it's, it's, in fact, there's, I've got it in just here because I've still, this is another thick book, but there's a fantastic website called ForgottenBooks.com and, um, and they're old texts from 1800s, they just reproduce them, but the, the text is tiny, it takes forever to read, but some of the descriptions are actually amazing um, of the conditions in London in the 1800s in cities. The stench of, you know, when they dead bodies and all this and, um, um, and smallpox. Even then, during that 1800s, they used, it used to come under a title of zymotic disease and that would include all the others as well, you know, measles and yeah. tuberculosis. And, and they, they even then it was seen as the body trying to expel stuff. But it, it changed when the germ theory became embraced and then everything, they rubbished, oh, those terms are outdated and, you know, immediately, oh, you must be, if you quote anything from that era, people say, oh, we're so much more advanced yeah. now. <laughs> well, I, I, I think we might be going backwards, actually, because... Well, we took away that woman spending that amount of money to get vaccinated. Look at the amount of money the governments are spending billions to get everyone vaccinated. So exactly. multiply that stupidity by a billions, and then you've I got. Know. 
<laughs> well, and, and actually, what's funny, in the 1800s, even right from the start of Edward Jenner using this new, like we said about the using the smallpox pass, but he came up with this idea to use cowpox pus instead because it was seen as a milder disease, even though, you know, they give names to all these things, but what are they? They're all the same thing, really. It's just the body trying to expel. But, um, you see, within a few years of that being used, um, there were loads of reports coming in, deaths, you know, problems, um, injuries. And so it was never like that he introduced it and everyone immediately said, wow, this is fantastic um in the, funnily enough in in the first early years because there were still a lot of doctors using the old method with smallpox when edward jenner came along it was so they had the kind of you know they were against each other the ones that used in smallpox the inoculators <laughs> against the vaccinators you know they were the ones um, and uh jenner obviously impressed the uh, royal society at the time the um because they didn't before they'd embraced the other method and said how wonderful it was and then they started saying oh, actually you know this method's much better well despite that one we you know this it seemed to it, they actually said it appeared to increase the numbers of smallpox with that method so now we're going to use this method um, <laughs> so it seems safer so you know <laughs> But it's crazy. And then there's so, I, I can't, well, I've still got stacks of text to read through, but there is so much written by doc scientists in that period saying that vaccination was harmful, poisoned the body, went on to cause all sorts of other issues. Um, there was, it was, there wasn't just a handful. There was stacks of literature. There's loads of testimonials. There was lots of people themselves, you know, complaining and protesting against vaccinations as well, wasn't there? Well, they did. They didn't up until 1853, they brought in this first vaccination act. So up until that point, people could choose. And so not everyone, we see with villages and that, if they got, you know, it's like if you hear about someone's children all dying soon after, you know, you, you're quickly hiding your own children from them. Um, and so they weren't having enough uptake. So that's why they made it compulsory um, in, in 1853 with a fine. But the fine only lasted that first year. So you, if you, after that, they couldn't find you anymore. So they fined you that once in that first year. And so, of course, then they decided, oh, that we need to do something a bit stricter. So then they changed it in 1868, I think it was. They brought in... Basically, you'd be fined annually until the child reached 14. So, you know, that's for the average family in those days. They had, you know, 10, 12 children. If they didn't want them vaccinated, it's going to be costly. And so some even chose to go to prison, you know, and uh, that's when it. So it was this increase from 1853 initially, a few people questioning it putting together pamphlets um, and starting to do lectures. And they were doctors, some of these people. A lot of them were actually doctors. Mostly, it seems, in fact, the ones that were mostly speaking out, they were some kind of medical background or scientific background. So they didn't have anything to gain and they weren't selling another product. They weren't saying, come over here, I've got something much better, you know. No, they were just saying, 
this isn't this isn't right. This is actually causing harm. And um, do you think it was done for the reasons of money back then as well? People just seen that oh, this we could be a ruse here. We'll just do this. So I think before the germ theory was embraced, because obviously Jenner was quite a number. He he died in something like eighteen twenty three. So and Pasteur did his at the latter parts. Um, I mean, initially, I think it was that they'd literally put, they'd embraced it too quickly. The government, the parliament embraced it. The medical society of those days had embraced it too quickly. And they'd used so much public money. I mean, they're using, they, as they always do, they use our money to, yes. to fund all these ideas. Um, and I, so I think initially it was the prestige and, you know, we don't they sort of dug their heels in we're not going to admit to this and it's <laughs> you know maybe they thought there were teething problems that would all smooth out eventually right. um but you know even edward jenner he given the fact that he was glorified even within his lifetime he didn't die a happy man i mean he was he he, he died he was very um well, he's vilified wasn't he yeah well also you know he he had so many complaints and letters coming to him about failures of his method and he he died a very unhappy man which if he achieved something wonderful he would have been strutting around and probably lived a bit longer as well it seemed like he with all the things coming in caving into you know did you not vaccine his, uh, one of his sons and also he kept on doing it for a number of years and then his son died of tuberculosis which is well yeah i did now it's funny because I know you said you'd watched one lecture. Now I did have that information initially, but I am quite. I'm always trying to be as thorough as possible. And if someone, if I find anything new, and I actually found that isn't quite right. He did have two sons. The first one, and the one who died at 21 of TB, he actually had been inoculated by the old style thing right. method. Right. So it wasn't the one that the other one actually carried on. He had vaccination, although apparently in, in some kind of outbreak, local one, um, Jenner wasn't actually confident about his own procedure. And I, I understand he did actually have him inoculated as well, old method, just in case, you know. So, but, you know, of course, some tolerate it. And as we know with everything, some people tolerate all sorts of things like that and others don't, you know. So with every reaction, even back then, I mean, some people would, you know, the child would tolerate it, whereas another child would die. You know, yeah. I mean, some of the um, images of, of, you know, when the, the whole procedure went horribly wrong, <laughs> you know, they're not very nice, you know, and, uh, and you can see why some of those parents would have gone, willingly gone to prison rather than they're trying to protect the rest of their family. Um, yeah. um, and and actually, I'm just re funny sort of night bedtime reading I have these days. But I was reading a book on leprosy in the 1800s about the causation and all that because I was thinking, oh, how did that work? You know. And uh, this book was written by William Tebb, who helped with the anti-vaccine movement of those days. And um, it, that again, you were. It's incredible that so many testimonies of leprosy being caused by the arm-to-arm -arm vaccination that they were using all around the world in different okay. parts. 
<laughs> and you know the the people of those villages used to hide their children literally because they there was the leprosy grew from that yeah. Um, so there was like a surge of leprosy in some parts of the world when they made smallpox vaccine compulsory and they didn't use the lymph they used, you know, from the cow in the UK. They used arm to arm. So if one child had smallpox, they would use. So, and then the next minute, leprosy appearing within the next few years. Um, and so many testimonies again saying these doctors were saying they believed that the main reason was the lancet of the vaccinator yeah. you know so and syphilis another guy professor creighton he wrote about um how the increase in syphilis as well so tuberculosis all that consumption in the 1800s yeah. um it's it's really, really fascinating. I mean, I, I've always it's like people are getting poisoned by these vaccines as they are now, and then that's getting blamed on some kind of contagious virus, and then yeah, that's encouraging more people to get vaccinated. Yeah. It's just a never-ending pile of misery. It's going I, nowhere. <laughs> no, I mean, it's it, it, I, it, the amount of. In fact, one of the scientists, um, uh, Alfred Wallace, um, who was quite high up. Um, you know, the sort of worked alongside Darwin and these kind of figures. He he wrote quite strongly about against it, you know, and uh, some, his book's fantastic that he's written because he and he has all these different case studies that are so interesting. Um, and he said they never did any control experiments ever from the whole of the 1800s. And he was saying. To this day, they've never done any control experiments. And I'm thinking, well, you could use the same paragraph now. They yep. still haven't. And right. he was talking about all the thousands of, of that died and the thousands of injuries. So, the and these weren't people who had anything to gain from saying that. If anything, they'd be treated, you know, like a heretic. You know, how could you um, speak out? And, um, I mean, it's... I mean, now we know about people like Andrew Wakefield. They really targeted him in the 90s and tried to claim that everything now to do with vaccines is because, you know, he said this and he said that. I mean, years ago, in the 1800s, there's plenty of highly qualified scientists and doctors who, for some reason or another, decided to look into it and came to completely different conclusions to what they'd been taught. So... They were coming from a pro-vaccine position, um, and but because they were thorough and they did their investigation thoroughly, they came across, hang on a minute, what's going on here? All these cases, all these outbreaks in the highly vaccinated. And, uh, and well, with boot, now we have, people are willing to line up when they're having a booster every 10 minutes, you know. Um, yeah. In the 1800s, Edward Jenner said, this is lifelong, <laughs> one vaccination. And it wasn't that long before re-vaccination came in. And I found a fantastic leaflet, which I think is on my news um, website now, but it, it was talking about the timeline of how often the vaccine should have been given. And it slowly got to the point when it was for the military by the 1940s, they were saying maybe every two weeks. Oh, my God. <laughs> When did it actually work? You know, um, <laughs> yeah, I, I can't. And a lot of it's referenced with medical journals. So you can even, 
if you're lucky enough to get hold of them because um, it's again another thing it's, it's hard to get hold of these old archive uh, journals now because yeah. they may even for doctors I know people who are doctors and say they can't even access them um, why do they make them so difficult I mean years ago in the 90s before internet I did used to go up to one medical library in London uh, tropical um, hygiene and tropical disease um, it's just near the British Museum and uh, they had a library where public could go initially but then slowly in fact there was hardly anyone ever in there we had the photocopying room to ourselves <laughs> and um, we used to go and just I was literally just looking for the word vaccination and we were going through as many as we could and um, photocopying things and uh, but then slowly they started to make it own lay people aren't allowed in the building you know yeah you've got to be in the in the system getting paid by yeah. the system funded by the system uh, well uh, and also didn't like you know we actually went in and looked for articles and and found interesting things they they didn't like that I mean, exactly, they, yeah. <laughs> like i say there wasn't hardly anyone in the in the building so we yeah. were all medical students they were just being busy brainwashed somewhere and they exactly. weren't you know, the medical students these days, everyone says, you know, you're a doctor, trust the science and all this, but these guys don't get taught the history that you've just been talking about, you know, that just gets completely skipped over. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think, well, actually, it's, it's, you know, Professor Heidi Larson, I don't know if you've come across her, um, she's part of the Vaccine Confidence Project um, in Oxford, and uh, in in 2019 at a WHO summit meeting on vaccine safety, she was talking about vaccine hesitancy <laughs> and um, how she, she actually said to all the delegates that there's a growing number of frontline health professionals who are questioning it and becoming hesitant. And she said her words, doctors are lucky if they get more than half a day on vaccination in their oh <laughs> She said it. <laughs> I quote her now because if you occasionally, I mean, I hardly ever get asked now, but because it's so censored, but, you know, over the years, I used to get asked sometimes BBC, you know, Radio 4, you and yours or whatever, Woman's Hour and a few other programs, news. And, uh, you know, you often get someone say, oh, are you qualified? What you know? Are you? You're not a doctor, are you? You know, and this sort of thing. So I always I like things like Professor <laughs> Heidi, Heidi Larson's quote because I can say, well, actually, I've done a lot more than half a day. You know, <laughs> so yeah, even people say they've been trained for five years. These doctors, but yeah, what they're getting trained on? Just what drugs to dish out? You know, trained, trained. You can train a dog to jump and up and down or whatever and do special tricks training is is not learning is it correct if you train a, a a bird to say something funny you know that's probably why they use these words you know it's like it gets away from the real world like a doctor isn't healing a doctor is to change something so it's like adding chemicals to change your chemical makeup they're doctoring it they're not actually healing anything so they can't call no. them that <laughs> shouldn't even be called health practitioners. Uh -huh. I oh, mean, the NHS is completely evil. It's going to get 100% against you. You know, people yeah. poisoning themselves. They're clapping at NHS like heroes two years ago. 
And then um, out and out committing genocide, I don't get it. You know how they can call them health at all. <laughs> well, it's sad, really, because, you know, there's so many well-meaning people working in these systems. Yep. Lots of lovely nurses and all trying to do their best. But they, they've all been trained, as you said. Yep. And they don't study health. In their whole course, where do they study health? Nowhere. They yeah. just study how to chop things off medicate you know and suppress the master symptoms and it doesn't occur to them that they're that they think they're doing some sort of health procedure when it's the opposite um and i mean i if i ever get a chance to i'm always very polite i mean you know but if i in the past i used to sometimes get involved in these debates on british medical journal website and you can just literally respond to any article that comes up. And there was one a few years back where I, I mean, I used to do a few, but there was one on months one time that started off this conversation. And it was, you know, I said, I they published my bit, then some other doctors published theirs and went yeah. back and forth, back and forth. And in the end, I, I just said about, they, it's a pity they didn't study health. And they <laughs> go quiet then. They didn't actually know what to say. Because <laughs> it, it's true. You know, um, in fact, when I used to go to the library, you know, just flicking through mortality and re causes of death. I remember one particular afternoon I was turning some pages and it came to things like alcoholism, drug abuse and suicide. And it actually gave lists of professions typically who died of those things. Oh. And I don't like to, you know, but the doctors were quite high up on all yeah. three. I said, why would I go there to about my health? <laughs> you know, they need help. So, um, you know, I mean, there's always a few nice, free-thinking doctors, but they're scared, aren't they, to 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 speak out because they've got their jobs and their salaries and. Well, even with my, my doctor, I told him, you know, I, I worked for Andrew Coffin for a couple of weeks, and I, I told him all about him, and I said where to go. And then about six months later, it was just a couple of weeks now, I went to actually see him in person because I was on the phone in the past. Yeah. And um, I had the appointment, it was about my back. And as I was leaving, I said, okay, did you look into COVID, what the websites I showed you? He says, no, I have been quite busy. You know, as if to say I've been yeah. busy poisoning people. You can't not had a chance to look into the thing that yeah. you're claiming is actual poison that I'm sticking into people. I'm like, it should be quite, a, you know, priority to think i know i mean actually let's face it a lot of the doctors if they're just there all day one few minutes with each patient and well not so much now because they don't even seem to see their patients anymore which yeah. well whether they do or don't they they just simply seem to prescribe whatever suits them Part on the, of the healing in the past was talking and the women unburdening or people in general and burdening themselves from the emotional stress and that was you know the heal illness can come from too much stress and things like that of course. I so mean, that was part of the service, you know, talking to your doctor and just getting things off your chest. But now it's just in, what's wrong with your tablets, go, you know? Yeah, I mean, the fact the traditional family doctor, like even at the end of the 1800s, there was one Dr. Hadwin who he started lecturing everywhere about, um, he was anti-vivisection and anti-vaccination. And he was fine nine times because he didn't want his children to be. Uh, vaccinated. He was a typical family doctor in Gloucestershire and the type that would know all the people. They'd know all their yeah. villagers, they know their lifestyles. Um, on, now, you, you know, people, well, uh, they're very up, 
unlikely to even say the see the same person if they even get to see someone at all. Well, how are heading towards AI? These doctors are no longer necessary. You'll just tell the machine what's wrong with you, and the machine will give you a prescription, and you'll go and pick it from a you know some thing that like a vending machine. You know? I know, I know. Yeah, it's that, I mean, that's the, the thing that surprises me more than anything is that people are willing to do that, <laughs> you know. But we're not taught common sense sort of things when we're growing up. You know, as soon as I remember when I was, you know, I'm quite an old, old lady now. But, you know, in the in the 60s, all the ads where they slammed down, kills all known germs, all these ads everywhere, you know. <laughs> scrub this and clean this and sprinkle this over and um you know people became so sort of frightened of germs yeah that's a good point yeah Um, you know if anyone dropped anything on the floor or don't touch that put it in the bin you know whereas um i mean we weren't like that we're not that we grabbed up everything that was on the floor but I also think my father well my father's from cyprus so he grew up running around barefooted uh uh, left school at 12, you know, and sort of excited learning to become a mechanic at 14 in the town. You know. um, and, you know, he said they just used to run around if they injured themselves. You know, it was just... Yeah, it's all marketing, isn't it? It's like marketing to sell products, and it just can it's reaffirmed that idea that, we, you know, even right now the craziness of people going antibacterial gel, but supposedly for a virus. You know, none of them actually cause illness, but that's the level of unthinking that's going on. And how do you get so bad, isn't it? I mean, I've never used it myself. There's another toxin. I mean, some people are saying that there's so much getting used, it's in the water um, now. So then it's given them an excuse to add some other chemical to get rid of the hand sanitizer, but that other chemical is dangerous as well. So it's just a big shit show, basically. And people need to engage their brains a bit, you know? Yeah, it's, it's 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 very hard. I think the hardest is, is for the professionals because they've really been trained and brainwashed. But then there is a certain number of the public that just accept that the authorities know what they're doing. And you know, I to a degree I did when I was growing up. But I always used to at school. Never, I never said much at school. I just sit at the back, you know, with my hair hanging down. <laughs> Um, but I used to hear some things they were being taught, and I used to think I often used to think of another like, angle on something. So, you know, whenever I hear things now, I think, mm, but hang on, how does that work in relation to something else? So, you know, I'm grateful that I had that kind of inquisitive mind because I could have just read that article in September '91 and just flicked it and thought, oh well, you know, flicked at the next page and. I was going to ask if you were kind of aware of conspiracy theories in general at that point, or is it just you've liked this vaccination one and you just kept on going with it, kept on going with it, then eventually other things have come out with vaccinations, then you've realised, hold on, there's a whole bigger picture on top of that, especially now. I mean, in the 90s, I did get, when as soon as I got into the subject, um, I did find, you know, interesting people come, say, have you ever looked into this and this? And, you know, something always made me, I said, fine thanks for letting me know but i need this is what i have to do this is my subject um so and i've come across all sorts of things and i some things i find fascinating and i don't know and uh but it does make you look um a couple of years before covid kicked off i did start questioning 
climate story because um, simply because I got accused online if I was in a kind of discussion debate, they'd start saying, "Oh, I suppose you you're a climate change denier." And <laughs> so I was thinking, "What is that?" Actually, you know, because I thought, "Well, the climate does change, so I can't understand what they mean." So I did look into that a bit more, and I sat and listened to. I forced myself to listen to all these scientific presentations and I, I sort of just thought oh my god it's the same as the vaccine story yeah. so there's there are all these scientists out there saying something different but no we get told that everyone all the world of science says this and and you know so it is very similar and I've, but it's not a subject I could talk about um, yeah. I'm aware of some things and I do point out little bits to people to get them thinking just when you see these big organisations like the WEF or WHO or whatever, you know there's an agenda behind it. And, you know, even the censorship that's going on now, you know, you can't even question this no. obvious massive fraud and all of a sudden I'm, you're getting banned from YouTube and can't go any here or, you know, just yeah. absolutely insanity. Whatever happened to debate, we are human beings. That's Gra that's trivial, grammar, logic and rhetoric, critical thinking. We have a debate, we got all the facts on the table and we look at them, you know, with without emotion and look at the yeah. facts and you know, it's not hard. <laughs> exactly. I mean, they, that's the thing. When there's no debate allowed, you know there must be something hidden. And um, in, in, in the 90s, we wrote, well, the first time I, I had a phone call one afternoon in my house um, from Geneva, from WHO, from this very angry doctor, John Clements, isn't it? Was. I, I don't know if he's still alive, but I um, haven't heard of his name used. But and he was very annoyed about an MMR fact sheet we produced where we'd listed all these bullet points. Um, and I, 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 I sort of said, well, hang on a minute, you know, these are all referenced. Um, why are you picking on, on us when they've been published in books, you know, years back? Go to the authors of those people and yeah. what have you. <laughs> Um, anyway, we started this correspondence then because we wrote to him about antibodies and what do they mean and all this. And he actually wrote back a few times and he he actually had to admit, even though he said that antibodies still meant something, um, but he said there was no precise relationship with antibody and immunity. You know, he said he had to admit that. And that's what everyone claims, isn't it? You get this poison in you, then antibodies form, and that's your measles antibodies, and yeah. your smallpox antibodies, and your HIV <laughs> antibodies. But it doesn't mean anything, because he admitted, and, and it's anyway, you can find it in other papers, people with high levels of these antibodies developed the disease, and people who didn't have any didn't develop it. Right. So, you know, there's, there's stacks of things when you start looking. You know, a lot of the science, when you... I mean, I didn't even like science at school. You know, I, I wanted to go to art college, you know. And, um, well, I forced myself to try and read things, texts, and if I don't understand a word, I look it up. And usually it means something quite straightforward. They just make it sound important on the page. And, uh, you know, there's, there's stacks That's of... That's part of the scam as well, though, isn't it? They use these big words to confuse people and put them off looking. Hydromorphine, you go, oh, Christ, that's too too complicated. My brain's not big enough for that. Exactly. <laughs> it, it, it's, it's interesting, but it forces you sometimes, you know, to 
if you want to just learn all that terminology and that oh so when people come at you oh it says you know you can you can actually respond say well actually all that means is is that you know yeah so but they use all these words like if and maybe and but and um you know um there's i I have to laugh sometimes in fact if it wasn't such a serious subject it's hilarious isolation and things like this you know it's like it's all crowd this it's shrouded in language that's not definitive you know it's yeah. like open for question all the time so yeah. then it's just like oh well we were just thinking that you know we didn't say it's 100 percent true it's just that's what we're leading you to believe you know <laughs> yeah exactly i mean there's some great I, I on one of the presentations i with the bcg vaccine because you know that was one of the only ones where they did a very large field trial where they did do they use saline solution and so a proper placebo and I mean, the results were so embarrassing. This was in India, a huge field trial. All the, the group that had the BCG got more tuberculosis. Oof. It was found to be less than 0% effective, meaning it's like giving you the. <laughs> and so instead of saying, goodness me, we better, what's happening? No, they, they sat on the study for 12 years before they even published it. And they called it bad news from India. You know, but they say, despite that, they still carry on using it. And then in the 90s, they produced an article, you know, something like, we must develop an effective vaccine against tuberculosis. And it says in the text, due to our lack of understanding of the the host and the bacteria, we, we, we're not sure what we're doing, basically, in a sort of polite way, they were saying. Um, you know... We must do better. <laughs> it would help, you know. No, if you look at their own history, they would find out the lies. The same as like in uh, Germany, Stefan Lanka went through the high course to prove German uh, measles right. wasn't caused by a virus, and they're still giving the measles vaccine there. So it's obvious that they're not actually interested in the science. Do you think that they're actually interested in controlling populations with these vaccines? Would you, do you have an idea? Uh-huh. I mean, now it's a different matter. It's because with, with this latest thing, it's a very odd. It's not even, as we know, a proper vaccine. Even you know, I mean, prior to that, I think it's like vaccination is one of the great pillars of medicine. You know, and uh, antibiotics, vaccines. If they had to start admitting to it's, it's so heavily protected vaccination as part of the medical system that if that fell apart. It's like, yeah, I mean, I I think they just can't risk anyone really delving into this subject. So it's always been heavily protected. That's the only thing it protects. To me, the whole pharmaceutical industry has the germ theory. That's the basis of most of it. And it's got these magic tablets. It's going to toxify you back to health, apparently. So we all suss out that you can't toxify the body back to health. They're essentially irrelevant. And we have to take control of our own health, like your grandma there. She lived yeah, a long, yeah. healthy life, eating probably organic, healthy foods. I'm no, just normal. You know, they didn't have all the fast foods back then. Exactly. I mean, in fact, when she was a very young girl, she she had um, rickets for, you know, but they were very poor in the, begin, uh, uh, you know, 1910 or whatever, you know, when she was a small child. And, and actually, uh, her, her sister... My great aunt, who I did also meet, she, you know, um, she lived a good long life. Um, she had TB 
when she was a young child, but she slept out of, they lived in one of these lodge houses on an estate. And my aunt, great aunt's bed was right near a damp part of the building. It was, oh, it was I think it was, it was just one area. And, uh, you know, she got over it. And um, in fact, my nan always used to say that when the doctor came one time, her, my great aunt was outside skipping, even though she was TB, you know, I know and, and the, her, you know, my great grandmother said, "No, let her play. You know, she's getting fresh air, and yeah. and you know, she got over that." But um, was it not like a lot of people went to the countryside, out of the cities, and then the fresh air itself? That's where they sent them all the sanatoriums. I mean, there's a fantastic book on TB itself um, by a German doctor who, I mean, I met some fantastic people also in the nineties. Um, there's a doctor Buchwald. He's died now. He got into his nineties. He he wrote a book on the decline of tuberculosis despite vaccinations, you know. Um, and it's such a fascinating read. And um, like you say, it was just fresh air. I mean, people living in overcrowded places with no sanitation, countless, you know, no clean water. That's yeah. that's we'd see with all the developing world. If 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 people like, in fact, I just put it in one of the latest editions of the newsletter, you know, if these wealthy foundations cared about those children and the people themselves, why don't they go in there with all their money and lay some more pipes down for fresh water and better oh, yeah. housing? And we'd instantly see a decline in all those things, you know. I actually think our water right now is getting poisoned with heavy metals and fluoride and stuff like that. So, you know, they're not caring about our health. It's just uh, quite That's obvious. <laughs> yeah, health, wealth instead of health. It's always, it seems to be money and also prestige. I know certainly, you know, in the 1800s, there were some doctors at the end of the 1800s saying, we're not, this. there's such a prejudice against questioning vaccination and it's to protect finances and, and prestige of the medical association. You know, we can't possibly be wrong type of. Yeah. They have put themselves on a pedestal, like we are, you know, the scientists with the white coats, we know everything, trust us. Yeah. And obviously that's part of the market, and again, to get us to believe in it. And it is like the emperor has no clothes, you know, we have to point out this big massive scam. And yeah. the pharmaceutical industry needs to stop treating us like customers, because that's all it is, is basically you don't want to heal your customer because they don't come back for repeat business. No, so they're no. all about keeping giving the medication as long as possible. So many young people as well. Yeah. I don't know it's going for topic of vaccinations, but you know, getting put on like Prozac and all these other um, medications and stuff like that. You know, absolutely. I've I've seen yeah. So I've I've had situations like you know about those kind of drugs. I've seen what they do to people. It's horrific. You know, yeah. and the, and it's once they go down that path, it, it will. Um, they're like it's a revolving door. there will be having other bouts of whatever and they'll have them even more sedated and and of course those drugs you know seeing some people I've young people who've been put on them and not only do, do they turn them into like zombies with no kind of spark that their eyes are dead um but they also so many of them they go on these things next minute they're huge because it gives <laughs> no sense of fullness and they then they get diabetes and then this and then plus they get what's on the side effects suicidal tendencies 
or one I remember reading one insert and it said sudden unexpected death. You know, <laughs> great. Yeah. Well, they call it a side effect, you know, but it's not not an effect. If it happens, that was a side effect, not an effect, you know. No, it's so semantics. It, it's hard. I mean, it's a pity. Like when we go to school, it would be much much more useful if we were taught some basic common sense things about just obvious moderation. My nan always used to say moderation, you know, um, in anything really, because I mean, you could drink too much water and drown yeah. internally if you know. Yeah, right, yeah. If you know but you know, um, it's it's sad that from when they're small, they're just taught now everything. Oh, you know, as soon as the young parent thinks, oh, my baby's got a fever, and starts giving cowpole and all these things, yeah. just, uh, and use it as a pacifier as well. Yeah. Um, and the next minute, then they're on antibiotics and. And antibiotics are just a poison. People don't think, oh, the antibiotics go get them in, let it run its course, and all this nonsense. It's a, yeah. a poison that's revving your whole system up to the max to get rid of toxins. Well, it's, it's, trying, burning yeah. it, it's burning out your system every time you do that. So you're mm -hmm. really not doing yourself much favours by taking them. I mean, when you see, when I just got into a year into starting the informed parent, because I was so busy looking, any word that began with V, I thought, oh, vaccination, you know, is that. <laughs> and I, I went to some really interesting talks that were by naturopathic practitioners but they were from a group that called natural hygienists which nothing to do with hygiene it was hygiea the goddess of health so that's why they took that name but they it, i don't know if you're familiar with them um, books of by herbert shelton from the 1930s and all an american naturopath and anyway i went to some lectures by had some naturopaths in in the uk and they were so fascinating and it was all about the body's self-healing so they were naturopaths that wouldn't use particularly any even supplements it would be more of like fasting and allowing the body to yeah. complete rest and then pushing and i went to I, I i listened to a lot of lectures and case studies were incredible and absolutely incredible and i i mean i've done a few things in my life um to help situations and and it worked out perfectly well and brilliant and and that was just from fasting for a few days even or one particular time a few days just living on watermelon which is something that was quite drastic and you know i was being told i might need surgery and i thought hang on a minute i don't want anything chopped off and <laughs> it all disappeared um um because i was allowing the body i mean it, and it is hard because sometimes i hear people Say, oh, I'm going to do a fast. And I said, well, yeah, but you can't fast if you've got a family and you've got to run a household and go to work because that defeats the object. You know, your body needs complete rest. And um, it's, a, it's a pity, like, there was one naturopath who got into his 90s and he used to have a place in Frinton-on-Sea in Essex and a proper fasting place. And he uh, used to have people stay with him for weeks. Um, and he... The, the, the number of cases that he's helped with all sorts of things, you know, either they were due for heart operations or their foot had gangrene and it was going to be amputated and he got it back to being a nice, healthy looking foot, not, no need for any, you know, MS. There was one case where I met the lady, she was, she'd been in a wheelchair and she ended up leaving 
the Sparstein place, running up, she could run along the beach at Frinton on Sea, you know. And yeah. this, and they didn't, and then when they go back to their conventional doctors, they say, oh, we must have either made the wrong diagnosis or something. Yeah. Or what did he put in the water? Yeah. Nothing. You know, it was just little, it wasn't asking them to drink gallons. It was just to keep them hydrated. But it was the body, like you say, pushing everything out. And they regained their health. We don't give the credit to the body. You know, it's been an amazing, intelligent thing that's running all these diagnoses and tests and ready to attack this and that. And, you know, it knows what it's doing. We, our interference is what's the problem. If we've poisoned it, we have to step back and let it deal with it and yeah. just usually rest properly, fasting and maybe fresh orange juice or a couple of things like that. But essentially, let it do its work. The pharmaceutical industry want to jump in and say, we're control of this thing. And it's very arrogant, I think, you know. <laughs> it's arrogant. And also, because it puts all that fear, you see, most parents, you know, you're scared not to do what you're, you know, yeah. what well, I should do. People would say, well-meaning relatives, say, oh, you should go to the doctors with that, or you should... And, you know, you've got to have a bit of courage not to, to, to... If you follow your gut feeling, no, actually, I think it's going to be all right to do this. But it is scary because you've got all this pressure and everyone's telling you, take yeah. this, take that, or they should, you should go to the doctors, you know. So yeah. it, it's they don't empower young parents now. They are scared of all these things, you know, and... Look how well, many people are wearing masks even now through the streets, you know. I can't believe. It's so sad. I mean, it's ridiculous when you see it. I just watched a video on Twitter. Oh, my God. I was in America or somewhere. Literally, nine, ten-year-old girls all playing basketball wearing masks. You can see them running around wearing masks wearing basketball. Well, that is just a... That's abuse. <laughs> and it's so... It's funny because in the first year of, of the lockdown era, um, you know, I went into one bank and uh, I never wore a mask ever. I've never worn one throughout. Um, I never it's liked pointless. it. pointless. Look at stupid. Why do something that's so stupid? Yeah. Around. Well, I'm so, not wearing a mask. <laughs> well, apart from I've never liked wearing them when I was doing DIY even because it steams your glasses up. You can't see what you're doing. So, um, you know, I just didn't like them anyway. But, you know, some I remember one cashier said oh you oh you've got a lovely smile i said well i said everyone else probably has but you can't see them you know oh again that's part of the oh it's cruel this the way we can't see each other's faces and stuff like that you know yeah it's and, scary isn't it i mean you know you could walking along the road and someone comes out from the corner with a mask on you know when i was a child they were the baddies you know yeah I literally walked past my neighbour that lives downstairs in Tesco and it was actually about five steps past her before I realised, hold on a minute, that's my neighbour, you know? <laughs> I know. Well, I've had a few people say, hello, Magda, in the street, and I'm saying, well, actually, I don't know who you are. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Because sometimes it's up to their eyebrows almost. Please reveal yourself. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Some of them are up to there and say their glasses, you know, and they're waiting there. It's just like, please, for the love of God. So well, that was a very quick hour, Magda. Can we tell you? hour already. Oh, God. Day, hasn't it? Yeah, we can get you we back on. Even, yeah. <laughs> but, I actually, I, well, yeah, there's plenty. I mean, it gives people an idea, though. Um, I was going to talk about your website, though, because your website is very informative, yeah? Yeah. That, so, you know, it's informparent.co.uk. I mean, I've only got, you know, these. this is a sort of thing. I know it's come out back to front, but, you know, I just literally put, 
a mixture of articles. So, so you're I still have, doing the physical ones? Yeah, I still do physical ones. Ah, that's fact, really good. The majority of people still like them better. But yeah. I literally look at articles from medical journals, science publications. We have two doctors who um, have got very different views now to how they're training was yeah. but um and they write regularly um and other practitioners sometimes and, and i sometimes just look at articles and do an overview of them or whatever but or you know we have in the past had um you know sad cases where people have talked about you know parents and uh, talking about their damaged child or i mean we don't yeah we're coming to the end now but of course we must remember there are so many children injured or they've got slight health issues allergies and asthmas and you know and, and learning difficulties and that's a huge spectrum of, of mental health issues um, well so that's what we offer my son 17 years ago he was going to get born i researched and i seen the link with vaccine and autism and then i seen baby fetus in the vaccine i was like okay that's enough for me but yeah that's a massive part of it as well the actual Damage and provable. Oh. Well, the, the vaccine companies, industry, I think they poor, paid it $4 billion, and that's only the ones that have admitted to. It's so hard to get them to that point, you know? Yeah. And there's lots of out of court settlements. So right. that's what I mean. You <laughs> never hear about them. It's And a lot of the others get pushed by the wayside. And I, you know, parents, when they've got a very damaged child, often end up having, they separate because of all the stresses, and they haven't got time to start going into court courtrooms you know yeah. i mean it's taken some of them years to finally get some kind of acknowledgement and then they say there's no reaction within 30 days or whatever then that's not proof you can't link it to the vaccine or whatever but i'm sure a lot of things you know it takes time for this poison to long term and yeah but then even if it happens a day later i remember when a child had died a year a, a day or two after the jab mmr years ago that you know official Oh, it was too soon after the vaccine. To, you know, you can't win. So they they just will say, they dismiss either. It's all coincidence and they probably had some pre-existing condition. So it's the fault of the child. We, it can't possibly be the vaccines. But yeah, so, oh, well, I'm, that's, it only feels like five minutes we've been talking. That's, that's right. You've done a, so a very thorough, thorough uh, stuff on your website, all PDF downloads for people. Is there like a you can sign up for a newsletter as well, yeah? Yeah, that newsletter is three times a year, um, right. and you can just get the download version if you want. But but I have done a lot of I've got an archive library up there now, and I've been literally manually scanning in. I've got loads of old original literature from way back. You know, I've met so many wonderful people over the years that were from that era. You yeah. know. Um, well, very elderly you know and then they passed on some stuff to me so i've got i wanted to scan it and they're all free downloads if people the history is very fascinating i particularly like history and i found it really interesting but it's a really good backstory because when someone says oh smallpox was eradicated yeah. by vaccines i went really have you read these books you know what do you think you know so i'm sure you've also exposed polio as well because the vaccine for polio was causing polio wasn't it the guy who kind of admitted that well there's all that's a that, that's another story and it's only it's a lot of, i remember a lady lecturing 
actually said, um, Dr. Vera Scheibner, who used to come to the UK regularly, and I used to organise talks, a man-made disease, you know, and there's not, it's right. even any kind of, um, or even having your tonsils removed in the 50s um, would increase the chances of developing the symptoms they call polio. So, but like I said, at the end of the 1800s with the Lancet for the smallpox, makes me think, now that's interesting that those early cases of polio were at the time of when they were doing this kind of oh, method. Right. Yeah, so, yeah. And then you've got other things, poisoning, DDTs, use, it's, they're all different poisons in different, but they all produce the same symptoms, so they got labelled, but yeah. then they reclassified it in the 1950s, so then they suddenly lost, oh, polio's gone. Yeah, yeah. But it's all people with the same symptoms, but it's got a different name now. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, they've all, it, it's always being brushed under the carpet, any evidence, all oh, quick, let's hide this. Um, it seems like they they can't be doing that by accident, can they? <laughs> not, not, not when there's billions of dollars at stake. I mean, they're making an absolute fortune. They're using the media to propagate their lies, and they have to be exposed, and well done for all your work over the years. Oh, for. I'm just glad to see, I'm happy to, be, I've always been a bit, quiet background working chipping away yeah. i'll carry on chipping away um that's all i couldn't give it up now you know i could never walk away with it from it i should say because i would have i thought how could i come well, sometimes you get fed up and think, oh another newsletter I've got <laughs> and then i i thought well i can't just leave it because how could i carry on my life just pretending i didn't know all this stuff and and i never say to people you know Certainly, I would never touch another vaccine. Um, but if people look into it and they still want it, that's their, if they want that injected into their body as well, uh, I wouldn't choose it myself. But, um, you know, I hope, I always say to people, whenever I give a talk, I'm hoping that I'm just igniting your curiosity on this subject. To me, it shouldn't be apparent if you're not going to be informed about the choices that affect the health of your child and yourself. You know, yeah. so there's no excuses, really. It's a well no, not this day and age because there's yeah. so much information. I mean, they don't have to go to the medical library in London and you know all the expense. You can just literally search for things. And uh, think of all the tests people have these days for all so many things. If you're going to have a child, you should actually get tested on what you know about. <laughs> your health, you know, in a proper way, if they were doing things properly, if they actually cared, you know, because there shouldn't even be vaccines in the world. It should just be wiped out because all virology is oh, fraudulent. I mean, yeah, I don't mind saying I'm quite happy to say if I was if I was health minister, they'd be banned this second. The yeah. whole lot, you exactly. know, pointless. Uh, no, I mean we could be a lot healthier. When we haven't got healthy children, they're actually got a lot more issues than. Each generation before, we're becoming more and more. I mean, I grew up in an era we'd hardly had any, thank yep. God. But, you know, each generation, I had natural measles and, you know, chickenpox and mumps for my ninth birthday. Uh, <laughs> you know, um, so the only side effect of mumps on my ninth birthday was my mum had to make another cake and we had to cancel the party. Till, you know. But, you know, children now, they've got, if you go on a school trip to help, they're taking a whole medicine chest with them and all these, you know, sprays and, you know. It's just, it's just idea that people have, they like, take a tablet or get that Lemsip or get this or get that. Just the yeah. idea that, you know, something external is going to make you better and that's it. 
that's how the body works, you know. Yeah. They're not responsible for the other stuff we put in, for our thoughts, for our, you know, other things that fear. affect health. Yeah, <laughs> fear. And fear, if the mother's fearful and the child picks up on that fear, yeah. you know, they can start deteriorating just because everyone's saying, oh, God, you know, what's happening here? Very that, much so. so. And then along with all the other stuff they give them and yeah. the antibiotics and everything. So, yeah, I've had few experiences of doing things differently and they've all been very successful so i can go by first-hand experience but it is you know some people would be scared to do anything different but but it's been really thanks for having me on it's been really nice to chat to you and um you know happy to it's been nice um, to chat to you if you just hang around we'll have a say goodbye after the show i'll just say goodbye to the folks now um, i hope you enjoyed that folks it was a really interesting show there from magda the website again is informedparent.co.uk. Get signed up, and lots of people are going on marches these days. If you're going to give out information, make sure it's good information so you'll source a lot of it there. Thanks very much for your time, Magda. And um, yeah, we'll maybe have a chat again sometime. You've done a great job informing people for quite a few years, so great work and keep it up. Cheers. Okay, thank you. <laughs> Thanks, Billy. <laughs>